Hello and welcome to the Unbundled Attorney Mastermind Podcast. My name is Dave Ahrens and I'm the founder and CEO of Unbundled Attorney. In this podcast, we interview our Unbundled Attorneys as well as the leading experts in the industry to identify the best practices for converting leads into paying clients and how to ethically and profitably deliver unbundled legal services and other affordable options in your practice. To learn more about how exclusive unbundled leads can help you grow your practice, visit our website at unbundledattorney.com. All right, welcome to the Unbundled Attorney Mastermind Podcast. We are very excited and pleased to be back. It's been a couple years since we were able to do these in-person interviews, and we're really excited to be in Indianapolis, Indiana with Aaron Harshman and Rochelle, uh, who are joining us, uh, both of which have been working with Unbundled Attorney for many years. And so we're going to be unpacking today uh, both uh, how to work family law leads and practice family law in an affordable way, and in addition, how to provide affordable services in the practice of criminal law. So we're going to be able to do some compare and contrast of those two interviews, of those two uh, practice types. And just a quick reminder that you can watch these. If you're listening to this episode on your podcast player, you can also watch the episode. If you go to unbundledattorney.com forward slash podcast, you will see the video version of this episode uh, as these are all filmed. And we also have it on our YouTube channel. So you can watch the episode or listen to it. Uh, But Aaron and Rochelle, thanks for making the time and uh, welcome to the show. Thanks to me. Thank you. Yeah. All right, cool. So maybe a good place to start is just to share one of the things that uh, is unique about the two of yours practice is you are a married couple, um, yet you have your own unique practices as well. And that was by design for various different reasons, lifestyle and so forth. So maybe you could just share, uh, you know, how it is that you guys both practice in terms of, you know, what you focus on in your practice, what you focus on in yours. And maybe you can share why you guys decided to have the two separate practices for yourselves personally. Okay. Go ahead. I guess I can go first. Um, So my main practice areas are in the areas of family law and just general civil litigation. My firm has five attorneys um, and we kind of split between civil, um, criminal defense, and then some like business transactional work. Um, And so we had kind of merged and started our firm back in 2018. Um, And so I know when you started talking about going solo, um, didn't necessarily put all those eggs in one basket. Um, but you know, I think it worked out well, gave you a little more autonomy, um, too, because obviously when you've got four partners, there's a lot more, uh, moving pieces with that. Um, yeah, for me, uh, it was really great to, um, see you start a firm and then get to do my own firm after that, uh, and knowing what pieces kind of worked in place. Um, so you just so, battle tested through her. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was the guinea pig. So well, well yeah, and, when, and we were setting up her firm initially when she was just a solo practitioner. We worked a lot on that, even though I was practicing in government practice at the time. Uh, so we had both set up that firm together to get her rolling, and then we got to do that again when we got my firm rolling, um, and it allowed us to kind of do different things and to uh, do things a little bit differently, um, and for me to just completely have just a criminal law firm all to myself. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you guys have uh, two separate practices. Uh, Aaron, I know you you have some experience doing family law. We worked together on delivering family leads for a while and then you've switched over uh, up till recently on focusing on criminal. And for you, you do you know obviously both in your practice and so forth. Um, so what will be really helpful is just to start to uh, unpack the differences in the ways when you were doing family law, um, how you would approach uh, working the leads and the types of service options that you would provide uh, to the clients um, as as for you as well when you're working because you're right now you're focused just on family law 
You haven't taken the criminal leads yet, hey? Right. Right. So, um, and we can kind of just unpack your process when when you're working with family law and then and how you would structure the relationships, uh, the process by which you would um, work with an in, in incoming client uh, to, you know, engage with a the client. There's some differences in the way that you would prospect with, you know, someone that's in a family law case and is considering hiring your services versus someone that's dealing with criminal charges. And the urgency, the time factor, uh, the type of information they need, the way in which to engage with them mm -hmm. is going to be different. And so it's going to be really helpful for us to just draw those parallels and also contrast the differences um, that make uh, enrolling clients and delivering services in a formal way differently for these two practice areas. Um, so maybe what might be helpful, uh, Aaron, is just to start, and then you can kind of uh, share how this is uh, reflected in the way you've been working the family laws, is just start by uh, describing your process for uh, delivering family law services mm -hmm. to the leads um, from the beginning of you know, how you would usually focus on getting in touch with the clients, whether you meet with them in person, what mm -hmm. the process was for doing so. And then from there, we can talk about some of the service options and then uh, draw some comparisons to criminal. Sure. So what I would do is, uh, for my family law leads, you get the notification from Unbundled, um, have a scheduling call in order to get them in my office. Um, mm -hmm. I was trying to do everything pretty much in office. Um, and uh, I could have done more virtual, but... Really, I wanted to get everyone in office. Um, I was doing everything I could to kind of overcome the uh, trust barriers that they had because family law is high trust, mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion. Uh, so when I'm doing that, I'm meeting with them and I'm trying to find the smallest thing that I can do for them that they need done. Just that one point where I can listen to them and I can say, you might need five things, but I can definitely do this one thing, and that's where we should start. Mm -hmm. um, so if it's a divorce, it might just be drafting, and I'm just going to offer drafting, and then as soon as I'm done drafting, I'm going to have, as a part of that engagement, a last meeting with them, and I'll say, here's your paperwork. Now we have to talk about filing. Mm -hmm. You can have me do it. You can do it yourself. We can walk you through it, or um, you know, we can talk about the other things that you also want done. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, um, since I, I viewed it as a high trust practice, I'm, I'm looking to overcome their, their indecision and their anxiety about the transaction. Mm -hmm. And so the easiest way for me to do that is to offer them one thing at an affordable price so they get a taste and then we can move from there. And why did you feel, uh, for family law? I mean, and most of the attorneys would agree that having a face-to-face -face contact with uh, someone that's dealing with a family law challenge, custody, visitation, divorce, something like that, uh, really does help. And you mentioned trust and and comfort level. Um, were those some of the factors for you as well in wanting to have an opportunity to meet with them in person? Uh, because it, well, what was the main main reason for that? Um, I want to meet with them in person because I want to meet them is one mm -hmm. thing. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I want to I want them to feel heard and listened to and. Just kind of in my experience, uh, there's times when it's fine and appropriate, but until I meet them in person or until I see their face uh, and they see mine, I know that I'm the drive-by attorney speaking to them through the speaker box. Mm. Um, and so I need to overcome that because I know that's how other attorneys are talking to them. And so as much as I can, I want to uh, give them the time and experience so they know everything's going to be all right. We can take care of this. Uh, this is something we can do for you. Um, and again. The combination of that and everything else uh, communicates trust so that we can let them know they'll be fine mm -hmm. and that we can take care of it for them. Right. Okay. 
And uh, Rochelle, is it pre um, pretty similar in terms of the way uh, you would begin a relationship with a client? Is you would usually have them come in the office, or do you tend to do a lot of your enrollments? I do things a little bit differently. Aaron's mm -hmm. way better about doing the more in person. Mm -hmm. um, I typically will offer like a virtual option, so you can meet mm -hmm. face to face or just phone call. I tend to convert pretty well on the phone, mm -hmm. so I have found that honestly, phone calls for me work just fine. Mm -hmm. So I give them now the option. I had given them the options of in person, virtual, or phone. I found that most of mine were going virtual or on the phone, so that's usually where mine land is in one of those two arena uh, arenas and honestly mostly just on the phone mm -hmm. um very few even ask for the remote mm -hmm. um now so now mine's just mainly all phone mm -hmm. do you do you tend to take uh i mean it'll be helpful i think because aaron you, you've worked with criminal leads versus the family law and there's different amount of urgency there's a different amount of um necessity to get an answer to know that they have someone on their side uh like that day that mm -hmm. night you know there's and we'll talk about the you know what they need right mm -hmm. there's a difference in the needs for that person uh you know to to have someone they know is on their side mm -hmm. right um but when you when you're doing the family law consultations i would imagine you're still having to develop that relationship develop that comfort and um I'll share, you know, Erin has, has said that, you know, she's really, really good at doing it on the phone because she's like a teddy bear and people feel really comfortable <laughs> uh, and they just, you know, they cozy up and they just feel really uh, comfortable with you, which is a, which is a, a strong suit of yours, right? right. It's just talent, um, which some lawyers don't have, you know? And so it's great that you have that capacity to connect with folks. How do you go about doing that on the phone consultation? Do you take a good amount of time? How do you, if you were to um, try to unpack how it is you're able to develop that rapport and that trust through just a phone call. Um, maybe there's something you can, uh, maybe you can kind of check some of that. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I feel like I don't, I try not to use like a lot of legalese. I try to use more like kind of common, just normal conversational language. Um, and I try to figure out ways like I either try to throw in some jokes or try to, you know, um, be more like they're talking to a friend than they are talking to a lawyer. Cause I feel like, especially in my world of family law or even civil litigation, generally people aren't coming to you on a good day. They're coming to you on a bad day. Um, most of the time Now the adoptions and those kinds of things are some of the fun things we get to do, but those are not the majority of our cases. So trying to find something that you can, you know, hear what they say, empathize with them. Um, you know, like for instance, like when I get to the fee part, um, and I hear my associate now use the same language I use, and it's kind of funny to listen to. But I'm, I will always say, now for the fun part of this conversation, I know the part you, you know, been waiting for is the the fees part of this. I know we've talked through your case. I've kind of given you some ideas of what we can do. But now for the fun part, um, you know, and kind of just reassuring them that like, look, I you didn't plan for this, and mm -hmm. I'm here to help you through it. As long, you know, when when we come up with like payment plans and things like that, you know, we talk about their budget and like, what does that look like? And I don't want it to put you where you can't afford your bills. How can we talk through that? You know, and trying to feel like meet them where they're at, but in a very like relational way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, attorneys can kind of be scary and intimidating. And so I really try to make it seem like they're talking to a friend who just happens to also have answers to their questions too. But mm -hmm. um I feel like that has gone a long way to make me have a better rapport with them on the phone. So I don't need to bring them as much into the office mm -hmm. um, because I feel like usually by the end of that phone call, I feel like they, they, they feel heard mm -hmm. um, and listened to. 
Um, and at least like, you know, I'm never rushing them off the phone. I try really, it puts me behind sometimes, but I feel like that's a big thing for me. They'll be like, oh, I'm up on my 15 minute or whatever it is. And it's like, it's okay. Like, do you have questions? Like I'm here to answer those. I try really hard not to rush them off the phone. I get a lot of comments. I feel like from, thank you just for taking time to talk to me about this. Cause I think attorneys do tend to rush people off the phones mm -hmm. and I get that. And I understand that. But at the same time, like these people are calling with problems and like, this is a big deal to them. So they don't want to feel rushed. And so I do feel like having that a little bit longer phone call, even if it puts you a little behind on your other ones, is still worth it. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're talking to someone that you're, you know, in a, in a good position to serve. Right. Um, and I would imagine, and maybe we can talk about just the general structure to the best of your ability to think about like, well, I'll usually let them talk for a little bit, ask them some questions, really get to the root of it, try to figure out what I can do for them. And then, you know, so maybe we could just break down that, that process a little bit. But I would imagine that you're also taking some time at the end to really talk through how you can solve whatever financial challenges they're having, mm -hmm. right? And oh, creating definitely. some safe space for them to be honest about what they can do, letting them know that, hey, we can, we're here to work with you in whatever way we can. We don't want to put you behind the back. We know you didn't plan for this. It's right. the phrase that you use there. Um, so can you share maybe like just the general um, phases of a, of a consultation for yourself? Um, you may not have thought about it in kind of the mechanics, so to speak. It's something you probably do quite naturally. Um, but what do you focus on uh, on your phone call station? You mentioned that you do take a little bit more time with the folks, which I would imagine would be the case because you have to build a little bit of rapport. You know, right. you have that opportunity to see them face to face or have them sit down and serve them a glass and talk, right. you know, you know, talk a little bit about the nuances and so forth. Um, so yeah, see if you can describe that in any way. Yeah, I mean, I think when I first get on the call, um, you know, I. I try to be very intentional about using their name, their first name. Um, I don't call use Mr. and Mrs. Um, I think that kind of comes across too formal sometimes. I know people have their own um, beliefs on that, but I try to use their first name. Um, you know, introduce who I am. Um, you know, I've taken a look at their intake already, so I know generally what their issue is. And so I usually will be like, you know, hey, I see you're calling about this issue. Um, you know, this is what I kind of see what's going on. Can you tell me a little bit about what, what you think is going on and what you're hoping to accomplish. And I'll let them talk through that a little bit. One like one thing I always have them talk about to our goals. So with every client or potential client I sit down with, um, I'll hear them out and then I'll basically say, okay, so what I'm hearing you're saying is this, you know, so what would like goals would be this, this, and this, are there any other goals that you would want to make sure that we're accomplishing, mm -hmm. you know, during your case and have them just kind of talk through that. Cause I feel like, you get lost in the weeds sometimes of their story. And I think sometimes they don't even know what their goals are necessarily other than it's got to change. And so helping them hone in on what are their goals, because it also helps later when they're like, well, I didn't like this, this, and this. I'm like, what were your goals? Like your goals were you wanted to modify child support. Mm -hmm. You wanted more parenting time. Did we accomplish those things? Yes, we did. Mm -hmm. So like this was successful. Even if it felt like you didn't get everything you wanted, you got your main goals. That's right. Um, so it helps to stay focused a little bit too because I think mm -hmm. that is the hard part with these intakes. Like family drama is drama. And so they can talk for hours about these things. And so trying to hone them in on goals. Okay, so nice. I heard your issue. Let's talk about those goals. Um, and then usually I'll try to get some just general information too. Um, you know, I... Some people have their staff do that. I end up tending to do most of that myself. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we do have follow-up intakes that we have them fill out sometimes, but a lot of times I'm just like, okay, so tell me about your kids. What are their names? What are their ages? Like, mm -hmm. Let's talk through that. Um, and then kind of get to, after we've talked through that, we've talked about their goals, how we can help, like what next steps would be. 
then I kind of go into, and now, you know, for the fun part. <laughs> um, and so kind of talk through that with them. Um, you know, and the same language you were talking about earlier, we talk about the fact that, you know, you didn't plan for this. Mm-hmm. You know, even people who make a lot of money oftentimes don't have a lot of money just laying around. Yeah. So, you know, even people who are high earners, you can't assume that they just have, you know, $5,000 laying around for some people that require that for a retainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'll kind of be understanding about the situation. Yeah. This is not well, and I try to be very open about not shaming them either for that because yeah. like, and because I feel like sometimes people, they'll be like, well, I can't afford an attorney or even, or they're kind of embarrassed that they don't have it depending on what kind of tier they come from. Mm-hmm. Um, or they feel like attorneys have expectations even, you know, of people who are lower income. Um, and so I try to put them at ease with that and just say across the board, like no matter how much you make, a lot of people don't have just extra cash laying around for this. Mm-hmm. And so um, I kind of give them a normal quote for like, hey, this is kind of what full, full service would look like um, if that's kind of what you're looking for. You know, I can break it down if I need to into other portions, but if you want full service, this is what it looks like. Um, you know, what could you do up front today and kind of let them say what they could Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they don't have an idea. And so I usually will say, well, you know, we ask for half up front usually, and then we come up with a payment plan on the remainder and then I'll give them my spiel of, you know, but I'm not looking to make you not be able to pay your rent or your bills. So, like, I don't want to have to come hound you for payments. Like I want it to be something realistic that like you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I don't want to waste your time trying, you know, trying to make you have to redo payments every time when they fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I try to make it really kind of let them own what that payment plan is going to be. Yeah. And I have yet to really have one that wasn't something I could go for. As long as it's an automatic payment plan, I don't care for mm-hmm. the most part. Yeah. Um, so, and then at the end, I kind of just say like, you know, we went through all that. Like, here's what our onboarding looks like. Here's how we will send this to you to sign. Like, what questions do you have for me? Um, and most of the time, by the time we get done, they don't have a lot, but you know, there might be some that you haven't hit on and they'll usually ask those then. And, you know, then just say, I'll send these things out to you. And that's kind of the end of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And, uh, how long would you imagine your typical consultation? Because you're also taking the time to kind of really work through where they're at financially and what they can do and, and right. having a conversation around what makes sense, structuring a payment plan, you know, and then obviously sending, a, uh, sending along the materials for them to sign and so forth and getting the, to the root of that, right? Mm-hmm. To really understand what works for them. Right. I would imagine it's not maybe a 10, 15 minute call. It's probably a little bit longer, right? Because you're also taking the time to build a connection and listen to them, talk about what the next steps are going to be and so forth. So do you have a sense for how long most of the calls take? And I would say most of them are probably between 20 and 25 minutes. Some of them push 30. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we've had to adjust like we use Calendly for all of my um, intake calls and even my current clients too. Like that's how they get on my calendar. So we've had to adjust the buffer between some of my calls because I wasn't Were keeping you it. Fifteens. Well, no, they knew better. My staff knew better than okay, that. Okay. Yeah, no, the fifteen minutes didn't work. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I'm always excited with myself if I can get it under twenty minutes. Um, that's a good intake for me. Is if I can just cut to the chase, but in a nice way. Um, if it could be sub twenty, but usually it's probably twenty five to thirty. So they now know to book 35 minutes on my calendar versus yeah. <laughs> so just so I can get through all that. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing is like, is I think you're right. Like a lot of attorneys are trying to qualify, right? And try to like, well, can you, you know, they right at the beginning of the conversation, they're mm-hmm. talking about money and resources and so forth, or, you know, they're focusing on how do I sell this client on a close and so forth, rather than allowing the space and the time 
to really hear out the client, really what's going on. And that's what builds the trust. They feel heard. You said that at the beginning, right. which I think is the biggest key. If they don't feel heard, then they're not ready to talk about money. Right. Because right? why they would they trust you first. with it otherwise? Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, and Anthony talked about this on one of our most recent podcasts as well, is that like he waits for them in some ways to talk about, ask about the money. He asks their questions and so forth. Waits and makes Because he knows if they're asking him about the money, that they felt heard. Right? Which is a good way to do that too. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's checking for like, have I really listened to this person? Do we know what their primary goal is? Are we on the same page here on what needs to be done? Do they believe they're on the same page? You checked in with them. Okay, cool. So this is the next steps. Now let's talk about the fun part, like you said. Right. And <laughs> just figure mm-hmm. out how we, how we can make this happen for you financially. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. So um, that would be a family consultation. And then uh, obviously we talked about doing it more in person. Would there be any variances for you, Aaron, when you were doing the in-person meetings? In terms of uh, the way you approach those those meetings, uh, in terms of, I would imagine if you're doing it in person, that the difference might be that you have them fill out the fee agreement and take care of payment right then, as opposed to like on a phone call station, you might send the fee agreement for them to sign and send the payment link. I would I don't I would imagine you probably don't process them on the spot, so to speak. You would. I don't usually no, know, but it might be a good idea sometimes to do that. But most of the time, they usually do a pretty good job of when I send it out, then they they'll process afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anything to add for you from your experience, Anthony, or Anthony, Aaron? Uh, <laughs> Other uh, just talking yeah. about Anthony. Yeah, it's just talking about him. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what your process was when you were working and delivering family law services um, before you made the switch to criminal. I mean, it's hard for me to divide out the, the, like, the whole process that was taking place there because my goal was they're in my office. I'm going to talk to them until, until we both know what's going on, until all their questions are answered. Mm-hmm. Um, to the scope that we're allowed, you know, that I'm going to answer them right now. Because a lot of times you have to say, we're not going to know that until later. We're not going to know that until later. But, you know, this is what we can do right now. And then basically, once we're at that point of understanding of here's what we can do right now, where, where are we going? Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah. usually the point where they're getting started with you. And so, um, you know, it's a little bit, I find it easier. Uh, and Ro- Rochelle's great. That's why I married her. Uh mm-hmm. Um, I would have married her off the phone, <laughs> you know, um, Fair enough, yes. yeah. Uh, uh, and I'm a, I'm a, probably a little harder sell on the phone. So that's why I, I need the in-person. So, yeah. We met in law school. I was not, I was not, a, uh, yeah, he did nope. not meet me on the phone. No, that's true. That's true. Yes. Wasn't a phone date. No, it was not a phone. It wasn't a, it wasn't a phone arranged, no. a phone arranged marriage. No, no, no. no. Goodness. All right. Um, okay. So. So we've kind of unpacked the family. I also want to just, if you could touch briefly on, you talked about um, just finding that one thing you could do for the client, right? And uh, it would be it'd be nice to kind of highlight some of the examples of the one thing you might look at doing. And also we can contrast that with the fact that we can't do that in criminal law, sure. right? Sure. Yeah, because that's limited scope. Unbundled right. legal services and just doing one phase of the matter where I'm just assigning a limited scope retainer mm-hmm. agreement and here's the service we're going to do. So could you give some examples of service options that you would start a family law client when you were doing uh, when you were working those family law leads, um, and and then we can talk about how we can't do that in criminal. <laughs> yeah. So um, three easy examples I can think of are: um, you need a divorce, I can draft the petition. Yep. Okay. Uh, a second is uh, the, you have a hearing coming up where the other person is trying to get something from you or say you did something wrong. You need defense at that one hearing. Yes. Okay. Uh, another was, uh, someone came in and they were in the divorce process and there was discovery. 
They needed help putting together their discovery. Yes. Those are things I can sit down with, plan for, and maybe attend one hearing and get done. Mm-hmm. So those are things where I can say, this is your immediate need, right? And then work with them on that one thing. And then from there, some of the clients I continued on with and did other things with, some I very intentionally did not continue on with <laughs> because the, the first thing didn't work um, uh, in terms of us still having a good relationship at the end of it because of either their expectations or sometimes just who they were. Um, but in all cases, I was able to do the one thing that they asked me to do and it worked out. Right. Yeah. And so paid up front for those and it worked. Right. And would you, and so there's a couple of pieces there. Did you find it helpful for you to be able to begin the relationship on a limited scope basis because you didn't necessarily have to continue along and you could still end on good terms and for whatever reason, not continue to represent that client because you'd only agree to begin or help them with what they needed right then and there. Right. It, for me, I like small stuff. I like small projects. I like being able to know I got that one thing done. Yes. And then if they really needed the help, you know, I, I would have always a sit down meeting and say, okay, here's where we are now. Like mm-hmm. we're done with that part. Here's where we are now. This is the next thing coming down the pike. And being able to say, here is how I can help you with it. Um, and I, to kind of contrast what you did, I didn't have prices set out beforehand um, because sometimes you learn things about clients along the way that help you price things for, for the work you know it's <laughs> going to be later that you wouldn't right. have known about them before. Um, just and by, because, and by beginning with one yeah. small service, you get a better sense than right. you might be able to on just a consultation, for example, on what the working relationship right. will look and feel like and just the amount of time it will might take mm-hmm. just based on how often they call and so forth, eh? Right. And I think that's the one hard part about family law is the flat being on that and trying to figure out how much time because some cases just inherently take a lot more time. So mm-hmm. yeah, that would be one helpful thing to yeah. kind uh, of vet just what kind of level of engagement they need. Yeah, a lot of people think they have a simple divorce. Mm-hmm. And it's agreed upon. Everything's agreed upon. <laughs> Everything's agreed upon until it's not. Yeah. Who's until getting the kids? Well, we haven't talked about that part yet. Yeah. Right. It's like, mm, yes. Interesting. Who's getting the kids? Who's getting the car? Who's getting the money? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where's Where's Fido going to live? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> We've agreed that we're getting divorced. Yes. yes. Oh, okay. Very yeah. good. Um, kind of contrasting that with you know criminal law, most jurisdictions won't let you jump in and out of a case, and a lot of you know. One thing I'm always thinking about is the judges I'm practicing in front of, you know, what are they going to think if I'm jumping in and out of a case too? So you're, you're really assuming that you're going to be in there for the long haul most of the time on most of the work that you're doing out of criminal. Um, So when I'm doing those, obviously I'm also taking time to vet it at the beginning with the person I'm working with. Um, But I'm knowing that I'm going to have a longer term relationship with that person. And so, um, making sure that I have terms that make sense are always going to be, it's really important for those terms to be locked down. Mm-hmm. What would you uh, say was the most common service package? Because I would imagine you've got the, the drafting, you've got appearance, you've got discovery, um, but that would, those would be all a la carte, but sometimes I would imagine that's packaged, right? I'll draft, I'll file, I'll do appearance and so forth. What would you say was the most common limited scope service option that you would begin a relationship with when you were first meeting with folks? Um, and what would I, be a typical price point? Yeah. So the most common was, let's say, divorce. Um, so for 
Uh, I had automated drafting software that was able to do a lot for me, and the petitions are very easy to do, in my opinion, in Indiana. Do you want to so, know what was the drafting software they used? Uh, uh, I used uh, LawYaw. LawYaw? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've been on the podcast as well. Yeah. And so I would use them. I was able to get a complete set of uh, documents to get started. You know, post-intake, it would probably take me 15 minutes to get everything drafted. Okay. So I was quoting in most cases around $400 for that document set. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a filing fee you pay in Indiana, uh, which I would be incurring if I was filing it for them. Okay. So that's when I'd have to sit down meeting and I'd say, okay, so you are $400 in right now. Either we can spend this last half hour for me to talk to you and show you how to file things, which is if you're going to get divorced. You're going to have to know how to e-file in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was the value add service at the end of it. Or I can keep working this for you. I can file this part and get it served for you. And that's going to bump us up to the 750 range. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so I can cover the fee and still get some extra money for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I was all in for up to filing and serving for them at the 750 mark. Mm-hmm. If they wanted a first hearing, it was probably going to be another... Yeah, depending on kids or not, it would be another um, uh, seven hundred or a thousand dollars after that. Right. So, so well, kind of fifteen hundred if they're so, doing the, the file and appear versus seven fifty yes. for just filing and doing the serving. Right. Four hundred or so just for drafting and the person the other. Person right. Files. And I would say what most people did was they got me to file it for them, and then I didn't. They might have reengaged me later, you know, sixty days later when the, an issue popped up. Yes. Uh, but in a lot of cases, they were they were good with that. Um, and a lot of times what they were re-engaging me with was, um, I would, for some of my clients, uh, they would say, okay, I want to get this settled and we think we have terms down and I'd say, okay, I'm going to give you a form document. I want you guys to fill it out together. And then they're going to come back to me and I would charge them for providing that form, them sending it back to me and finalizing it and in such a way that they could sign off to each other. Right. And I would imagine, you know, you had mentioned because of the fact that you're using law, y'all, that you could deliver that service very efficiently oh, right? yeah. in less than an hour, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. 30 minutes, something like that. And so uh, I would imagine that you're because you were doing the flat rate, you were benefiting by having that system of automation to be able to deliver it in that way. Right. Whereas if you, I guess if you could imagine not having a document automation process and then delivering that service, it would probably take maybe two, three, four hours. Right. Something like that. Maybe. Right. And so the fee structure would have to be completely different without right. that kind of system in place. Okay. And and to even uh, to make it more clear, my assistant was pretty much doing even the law y'all side of it. So I was we were doing the intake with them when I was talking to them. Yep. I was handing that over to her. She was completing the document for my review, and then it was getting filed from there. So right. Um, and that's how we operate too. So we use law y'all because he got me started on that as well. And so now for like a divorce case, I mean, it probably takes my staff. To draft almost every document I think we would need on a full divorce case, I mean, maybe 30 minutes. It's inputting stuff into our system, running the documents, like discovery is ready to go. Um, at least the the basic version, all of our pleadings, you know, proposed orders, um, all of that's in there and just ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and then I have my staff do that. Like, I feel like it's been a huge help to be able to get stuff out the door much faster on those flat fee things because obviously the name of the game on those flat fees is – what's the least amount of time I can spend on it. Still giving them the best service, yeah. Um, but then just maximizes your hourly time on it. That's right. Yeah, and then you can offer a flat rate of 750 or 1,000 mm-hmm. or 500, something like that. Right. 
and your effective hourly rate on that is, you know, if you're only having to spend 30 minutes to enroll the client, 30 minutes of your own time is 572 bucks an hour, mm-hmm. right? right? Minus filing fee in your case, right. and you could still do really well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's more than what your probably your standard hourly rate is, right? right. And so being able to lead with a service option, you know, I think a lot of attorneys think of this as, you know, some kind of lower cost lawyering or discount lawyering when they do limited scope. And in reality, it actually ends up uh, for the per hour time you're putting into getting services out the door, if you take advantage of some of the technology that's now available through LawYon, some of the different solutions, um, it's a game changer. And mm-hmm. it makes delivering these services a la carte uh, very profitable financially and, and viable for attorneys to provide that as the starting service. And I think sometimes, okay. too, it's also helpful for clients to know that there's an end to my fees. Because mm-hmm. yes. I think sometimes, too, for clients, and I think it all comes down to their risk tolerance. But, you know, some people they're scared of how much that's going to be too. So to know, I just have to pay this amount and yeah. that's the fee. Um, I think for them, sometimes lets them rest easier knowing like, okay, this isn't, this is something I can do versus, you know, when you get that first bill, like, you know, and all of a sudden you realize that retainer you just paid is gone after your first hearing. And all of a sudden we're back to, sorry, you've got nothing in your retainer. Cause you know, we just spent seven hours on your case litigating this at a hearing. So I also think that from the client side too, it makes them know exactly what they're biting off and they know that they can do that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's helpful. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's uh, it's a little bit uh, smaller hill to climb to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's just, they, it's a, it's a clear picture. They know how, you know, what, what they have to come up with. It's usually going to be a smaller number. Right. right? I mean, yeah. we're right. talking about a limited scope service. We're talking 500, a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars at the high end for mm-hmm. what you're, what you were describing versus $2,500 to $5,000. Right. Um, and that's that's a big difference when it comes to having a client being able to say yes today mm. to moving forward with your services relative to anybody else, relative to any other firm they may be talking to. Yeah. Right. And I think too, when you do those small scale, like smaller scale, so when you flat fee it, I do think it makes it easier too to set them up on like a payment plan. So like their yes. cost to entry is usually much lower. So if say the project's going to be $500 to do the whole package for the documents okay so 250 today to start sure the other 250 in two weeks or three weeks four weeks when you get paid like so like that's not as big of a deal either too when it's a little bit smaller there and you just don't give them the documents until they've paid you in full but at least then they feel like they've gotten the ball rolling um you know things like Mm -hmm. that but i think that that makes it easier too yeah and it's paid upon delivery or delivery upon right and and they all understand that too yeah but i know they just love being able to say oh my gosh i've got an attorney on board we're moving forward like got this you know they just feel good to be able to say they're doing something with it yes i think it's helpful to them too yeah one thing that we often forget is legal services are emotional (laughs) for the people who are dealing with them Mm -hmm. even more so than i mean we look at them as legal problems that's how we've been trained they view them as emotional problems and they need to know that one thing that will make them feel better. And sometimes that's, I hired an attorney mm-hmm. to do something for me. Yes. That gives them relief. Yeah. So well, it, I can't... it takes that off and puts them over right. here. Absolutely. So right. Like, now, now, yeah. now they're sharing their problem. Yeah. They're than, they don't have to deal with it all by themselves. Yeah. Anymore. They're not, they're not alone yeah. anymore. So the, again, there's the emotional side to the, particularly in family law and criminal law. I mean, there's heavy emotional sides to those. And so part of what we're doing is we're trying to provide emotional relief through legal services. Yes. Um, and and that's difficult for a lot of attorneys to grapple with because they think they have to, to win. They think mm-hmm. they have to, you know, be that. Um, but the client, more than anything else, just needs you to be there. Yeah. And they want the person who will be there. And one language I feel like 
I've heard you on calls and you've probably heard me on calls too. Like I'm big on team. Like this is, we're part of your team. And so you'll hear me use that language and you'll hear my staff use it too of like, here's your team. This is who it comprises of. Like call any of us. We're happy to help. Like, and that kind of thing. I feel like too, knowing that they've got people on their side making them feel like, okay, I've got somebody who's looking out for me. Um, I think is also helpful too. like during those conversations when you're having like, how do you make that rapport, making sure they know you're on, like, we've got a team here to help you. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not just me, you know, my staff is valuable too. like, you know, be nice to them. Um, they're, they're here to help you too. (laughs) Like, um, but like having a team behind people, I think sometimes helps them feel better too, of knowing that, you know, they've got me, Mm -hmm. you know, so we're in good hands. Yes. And, uh, you know, you had mentioned, Aaron, that, you know, you kind of like doing the, the one-off types of services mm-hmm. um, because, you know, it's, you get that one thing done, you know, you deliver that and then if it evolves into something else, then great. If not, then it's okay. Um, a lot of, you know, other lawyers might say, might, we've had a lot of lawyers come on the show that have utilized limited scope as a starting point to help them enroll more clients, to get them started with the services. Yeah. And then the relationship transitions to full representation sure. or additional services from there. Right. And it's just in some ways, a way for the client to get to know you a little bit better, mm-hmm. have a service that they can say yes to. It's kind of like you're giving them an offer they can't refuse, like a mm-hmm. Godfather offer we've talked about before. Now, I'm gonna give you an offer you can't refuse, okay? How about $500 <laughs> down and a $1,500 service? Okay, that sounds pretty good relative to mm-hmm. the three other lawyers that quoted me $3,500 to start. Um, so it's a really you know easy for, way for them to get started. And then they can experience what it's like working with you and having a team, like you had said, and you have an opportunity to work with them. And then they're going to feel a lot more comfortable when it comes to that next stage of the case. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed working with Mr. Harshman. And mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so it, it makes sense for me at this point to, to want to transition a relationship to additional services. It's almost a natural evolution. Right. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I'd agree with that. It's um, it's obviously you've, you've built up that next level of trust. And it's very common that they'll ask you about full fee or they'll ask you, you know, about full representation. Or they'll get you to contract that one other thing. My personal preference, just the way I like doing it, I usually just try to get them for one more. Mm-hmm. Um, because I always liked doing the one more. Um, I Probably for my own mental health. And because it kept my billing to a minimum. Um, because, you know, I'm kind of a born and bred criminal guy. Uh, so I don't like billing out all my time um, as much as I'd rather just get things done for my clients. Mm-hmm. Um because I always, I kind of think of an efficiency mindset. How can I get this done the fastest possible rather than worrying about billing it and my point ones? So, the transportation fees for the <laughs> yeah. top yeah. floor or the bottom floor? Yes, yeah. right. How much time did I think about that case last yeah. night? Yeah. yeah. More time than we could bill for. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. So, so, we've talked about this, I mean, and just the power of, of limited scope, being able to offer that as a flat rate. And deliver service that you know when leveraged with properly with technology can make it a lot more efficient mm-hmm. and a lot more profitable to deliver that as a service. Um, and you're obviously able to able to engage with a client on a limited scope basis because you have the ethical support from the bar to be able to uh, you know provide just just some service because mm-hmm. you know as bar associations would, would agree it's better to help you know in their opinion and, and the opinion of the legal industry it's better to provide some clients with some help rather than no help at all. Right. And so the very shift in that that ethical environment has enabled attorneys to be able to help folks mm-hmm. that don't necessarily have three to $5,000 and can't necessarily commit to full representation, right? And so it's a, it's a really powerful tool for us to provide legal services to folks 
that would otherwise be not be able to, able, able to afford an attorney. As I'm sure in many of the examples when you worked with clients, when you did the one service and that was it, it one of the reasons they may not have continued is they may not be able to afford the next phase right. of full representation, but at least they had an attorney there to draft their documents, give them the advice, get it filed right, and not make mistakes based on procedure or lack of knowledge. Right. Okay. As a pro se litigant, mm -hmm. right? So um, it's it's been really wonderful to see the impact that Limited Scope has had in the family law arena. Uh, now enter in, uh, now we're doing uh, generation for criminal leads mm -hmm. and so, still have the same mission, right? Providing, yeah. a, you know, affordability and accessibility of legal services across North America and trying to approach uh, providing services to, to, to people that are facing criminal charges in a way that's also going to be affordable for the average, you know, lower middle, middle income family. Right. Yeah. Without necessarily having the same capacities ethically to limit the scope of involvement in a criminal case. Right. So maybe what we could do is just talk about um, what those differences are. Maybe we can talk a little bit about just criminal courts and so forth and why maybe limited scope hasn't been something that's been doable there. Uh, and then let's talk about some of the different ways in which we can approach uh, clients that are, that are dealing with criminal cases um, so that we can uh, offer services to folks that, you know, may not be in a, in a similar position that a family law client is that doesn't have the thousands of dollars available if they got pulled over on, you know, after a, a late night or something like that. Yeah. So uh, as far as kind of the issue with, you know, in, in my experience, uh, judges don't want you getting in and out of cases as much. Okay. Yeah. And there's been a lot of, um, you know, uh, as, as efficient or as great as it looks like it might be, you know, uh, someone just reviewing plea agreements or someone just trying to cover the one bond hearing, you know, there, there could be some measure in that, but the, you know, the judges and attorneys I've worked with are always going to view that a little sideways. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and that's just kind of the state of the, the board, market. Across the entire country. Yeah. That's just the state of the market right now. Yes. Um, what I think is available in order to make these services available uh, because in my experience unbundled is very good at finding people who think they can't afford attorneys but actually can mm -hmm. it's people who are looking and they know they have some means um, they just haven't found that point of access yet yes and so i think the place where we can normally meet them on the criminal law world as a point of access is for us to say low down payment you know something uh in the 20 or 25 percent range and then leveraging the technology for us to start doing automatic payments mm -hmm. uh, from day one uh, to make it a an automatic thing, an automatic recurring payment system. Yes. Um, if anything ever starts going sideways, you have a very early indication of what's happening there. Uh, but for the most part, if it's ingrained in and if they trust you, you're gonna get paid along mm -hmm. the uh, along the course of the case. Um, it takes a little bit of knowledge about how long things take to resolve. It takes a little bit of knowledge of, uh, obviously, criminal law attorneys are really good at flat feeing their cases, pretty much how everyone does it. Uh, but sometimes it involves the extra skill of breaking up into phases um, where you are. Um, in some places, they can break up um, um, initial representation. Some places can add in discovery, and then some people trial prep. Yes. Um, and so uh, if you're able to do all, two of those or all three of those um, and just say, this part of the case is going to cost this and no further unless we get to that next part. Right. Um, that's a way to make it. most it, commonly it would be like up to trial. Right? Up to trial. Yeah. The, My, for me, it's usually yeah. up to trial. Yes. After confirmation for trial. 
Um, And those are the two phases. And, you know, you need to have your money in place for that last phase uh, uh, before you continue on to that phase. So that's normally what we're looking at. Um, And that's what I was doing when I was quoting is just uh, be the guy who was willing to hear them. Be -hmm. the guy who said, I am willing to hear out all the resources you've had, uh, uh, all the resources you have in order to pay for this case. And then uh, zero in on a plan with them together that that will work. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were usually willing to start for a little bit less, usually oh, yeah. if they were on some kind of payment plan. Yeah. Again, my experience of things, most people have um, uh, who are coming from leads don't have an attorney out there that they trust anywhere. Yes. And it's not that people have no money. It's that people don't have any money for an attorney they don't trust. Yes. Um, and you so, said that before. That, you know, the reason you're getting the lead is that person doesn't have an attorney they can trust they can turn to yet. Or right. that if they have talked to an attorney that they would love to trust, maybe they wanted $10,000 up front and they couldn't do it. Right. right. So they still don't right. have someone they can trust that also you know, is going to be able to bridge the gap for them. Eh? Right. So I, in my experience, you're making that entry point. You're, you're being clear to them about expectations. You're setting them up on a doable plan. Um, and that you know, it net, it net positive. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and you guys, we'll talk about uh, automated payment plans, automated printing billing payments. Um, we had Amy Porter come on the show, who's the former CEO of LaPay. Um, and she talked about the technology and, and I've always been extremely enthusiastic about what LaPay did for the legal industry in terms of being able to have a system that can have funds go into a trust account or operating account. And also that you can set up a recurring billing payment plan in mm-hmm. accordance with whatever the person's getting paid, the frequency that they get paid, right. and uh, in accordance with what they can afford on a, on a weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly basis, mm-hmm. um, and have the ability to draft that payment, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to sending an invoice and leaving it on the, in the client's hands every time to have to go in, make the payment, and do the thing, right? right. Um, as opposed to something where you can just, they know it's a budgeted for a specific amount, and it's coming out each check and so forth, and it's taken care of, and they know as long as they take care of that fee, and that comes out of their account as properly, and they have the funds there, that they know that they have representation ongoing, okay? So can you guys talk about just briefly about how having a system like that has changed your, the flexibility or the confidence that you would have or the types of services, service options you you would now offer because you have this type of payment solution available to you in your firm? Yeah, I know I'm much more willing to start for a lot less if I have that in place um, because I know that like the nice thing is even after the case is done, it's passive revenue that's just coming in on these cases that you've already worked, you know, maybe a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, so we're Clio people. We use Clio, um, mm-hmm. which Clio payments. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that works with law pay. Um, yeah. And so, it. yeah, it's powered by law pay. So, but having some kind of system that's in place that can a run the payments and B also does the invoicing and applying those to your payments, I think is huge. Um, we had law pay running separate from Clio for a little while and that was a nightmare. Um, so <laughs> because then we had to manually input all of it. So when it just runs straight through Clio through law pay, that, you know, it was a huge um, factor. And I feel like our um, accounts receivable have gone down because again, I have, I mean, it's very common that I'm talking to my staff saying, hey, call this client, get them set up on another payment plan. Their payments are being declined. So, um, and maybe that's, we set them up on $25 a week or $25 every other week. I don't care. I just want them to be paying towards it because mm-hmm. if they've got some skin in the game and they're at least trying, I'm willing to keep trying to work with them as long as they're trying to make payments on their, on their outstanding bills. 
Um, so that's been huge for us because I feel like, again, most people, even if it's lower, they're willing to put themselves on payment plans. So it's it might take a while for them to pay it off, but they're paying, um, which I know has been huge for me. And the, and the average uh, payment is probably like for family. It depends on what needs to be done, but probably $150, $200 a week, somewhere in there? Yeah, so yeah, somewhere about $100, I would say, 100 to 150 a week or yeah, two hundred. So about five to six hundred dollars a month. Yeah, right there. yeah, usually right around there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Some of my some of my folks that are on Social Security are a little bit less. I do mm -hmm. tend to get a fair number of those as clients, which I love them as clients because the nice thing is they do have consistent income, but you get yeah. paid once a month, and it might be a little less, but they're willing to pay for it or like over time. Um, you know, I've found that actually those tend to be some of the most valued clients in terms of, um. You know they're they're gonna try to make sure you get paid. Um, they so. appreciate the work because I would imagine they know they're on limited. Might look down on they their do, and I think right? get turned away just because a lot of times one of the questions we ask as attorneys is, "Are you employed? Where are you working? Those kinds of things." Well, I'm on a fixed income on disability. Oh, bye. Right, people bye. just assume Jeez. they can't afford it, but they can. Yeah. They just yeah. have to make it in smaller payments. Um, and obviously, they're not somebody who's gonna go in and out of unemployment because I've got that with clients. You know, they don't have a job, um, so their payments are declining because they don't have any income coming in. Um, so I think that that's a missed market group actually for a lot of attorneys. Right. Ditto to everything. <laughs> I, I mean, for me, I, I, I look at those ongoing payments I've got and I kind of count them up every month and I go, and I just think, how much does that cover? My it overhead? adds up. The yeah. Payments, like, even from a lot of people it adds up. Every yeah. Month. I, I'm like, that's, that's overhead. I don't have to generate. That's, mm -hmm. you know, uh, things that I don't have to do this month. It makes Fridays even it. more exciting. Cause usually it it's on a Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Mo yeah. Most of the recording uh, yeah. comes in on the Friday. So yeah. Yeah. So people get paid, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Cause you, cause you know, that's the big thing I always tell people is like, we try to set this up with how you're paid. How are you paid? Are you weekly? Are you bi-weekly? Are you semi-monthly? Monthly? Like how are you paid? Like let's set it up. So that way it's something. One less thing for you to worry about. That's how I always approach it. Let me take one less thing off your plate. Like, how can we make this so you don't have to worry about it? Right. Okay, great. So, so we got the automated recurring billing payments, which just really enables the model you're describing, eh? Because I would imagine you can't really offer that 20%. When you mentioned 20 to 25%, that would be usually of the flat fee right. that you're quoting for the case, right? right? So if it's a DUI and it's 3,500 or 2,500, whatever it might be, the 20 to 25% of that would be... 500 to a thousand somewhere in that range right? yeah okay um and so and then you're you know that's the initial fee and then they're on a recurring billing payment plan from there so maybe we can just describe like a couple of different example cases let's say a dui or a drug charge whatever would be like kind of a simple example for you sure in terms of what the fee would be what the process is how long it typically takes which is one of the things that you said you know that knowledge thereof of how long on average it's going mm -hmm. to take for this type of case to work its way through the system and so forth sure yeah, before there's going to be an outcome, um, you know, is the time you have really to structure that relationship yeah. in terms of financially, right? Yeah. So um, taking an example, uh, we'll say like to make my math a little bit easier, I guess um, we'll do an $1,800 case that I'm charging on maybe a kind of a minor domestic violence case. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, so $1,800 flat fee. Um I'm probably going to ask for somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe on that one as much as 500 up front again because one of the things I'm thinking is just how to keep my math simple because then I know that 1300 uh, could be paid over six months every other week um, of about a hundred dollars mm -hmm. I, I believe my math is working out there yes so uh, if I'm charging them a hundred dollars every other week we're gonna be paid off in six months I know that the case where I am that case is normally going to take 
seven or eight months to resolve. Right. So you have a little uh, so, bit of buffer of time, right? Right. And so, but if I think it's going to, you know, there's there's the different things that I can shift in there to make it work. I can raise or lower the payment. I can uh, raise or lower the uh, upfront amount. Initial deposit, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can make them pay me a little bit more frequently. Uh, there's, I had standard forms that I just pushed out uh, when I was when I'm doing this for Clio, mm -hmm. um, and so Clio Grow sends out my contracts that are adjusted for the different time periods with the amounts already in them, because essentially they're telling me what they can afford. And honestly, just to keep it simple for myself, I'm kind of backing into my own payment plans, um, which is usually usually a little bit less than what they were asking for, which I'm kind of using as a selling point. They say they can afford. You know, 150 every other week. I'll say, well, let's do 100. I will make your budget easier. Let's mm -hmm. do 100. And really, it's because I want to do less work on it. And I just want to be able to well, send them what I've already got. Kind of a good faith. Yeah. Act, and they right? appreciate that. Act. They understand that, you know. Um, and usually, it's not the attorney asking for less money. Yeah, right. That's right. Not, <laughs> not, right. Not, not that and, and again, that does not usually occur <laughs> in their experience, right? right. So right. when an attorney's like, look, let me, let's make this manageable mm -hmm. for you. Right. So you can cover your bills, take care of your expenses, and so forth. This is going to put you in a difficult position. Right. They're like, oh, wow, appreciate the courtesy, you know? Right. Because like, and, and, and people will sometimes kind of puff up their ability to do this anyway or be overly ambitious or not be thinking fully of their budget when they're sure. doing it. So coming off a little bit from what they say is usually another relief to them. <laughs> it makes you more on their team and it makes them more trusting of you, uh, which, you know, trust isn't just to get the payment. Trust is to have a productive relationship with them from beginning to end um, because – if they trust their attorney, you get less phone calls. <laughs> Just right, frankly, yeah. yes, yes. That's true. if they trust their attorney, you'll get recommendations. If they yes. trust their attorney, especially in the criminal sphere, yeah, yeah. they will. Uh, they will use you for everything that they can think of, uh, if they actually trust you. That is true. Right. Okay, so if kind of broke this broke down, you gave an example of a of a minor domestic violence case. So you're you're first determining, okay, how long is this case probably going to take? Yeah. Right. Step one. So you said probably like eight to nine months. Sure. Okay. So then I have about, and then you give yourself about a one or two month buffer in terms of the payment plan period of time yep. to make sure if there's a missed payment here and there or something like that, you've got enough time. Is that why you give yourself the little extra time just in case something comes up and they need like to put a, a, a right. payment yeah. hold or something like that? Hey? Yeah. Gives yourself a little bit of time and then maybe it gets resolved sooner or something happens, right? right? Maybe changes in the case. So it's thinking through, okay, how long is this going to take? Give myself a two-month buffer, more or less, hey? Yeah. And then that gives an amount of time, say six months, right? Mm -hmm. And so then I usually usually want to ask, say, 20 to 25% down, somewhere in that range, depending on like some different factors. Like you said, you could modify that. Let's say you have someone else that's going to be writing a check for them or something like that. Maybe they want they don't want to do the – they might want to pay a little bit more up front and sure. not necessarily yeah. have the payment plans at the back end, right? So you can adapt that piece of it. But generally speaking, it's that 20 to 25% calculation, depending. Right. Okay? And then when you're doing that, we'll talk about the kind of the strategy on the, on the consultation in terms of, you know, how you convey this to the client, explain to them. Um, but you kind of lead with that deposit. They then make that deposit and then you set up the payment plan from there to, to have that last for that six month period mm -hmm. or so, give right. or take, uh, in accordance with their payment plan, in accordance with when they're getting paid. Right. So... Uh, yeah, and sometimes there will be things that happen along the course of the case which will speed things up. Um, I might get a dismissal on a case. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes that will happen one or two months down the road. And so I have to sit down with my client and say, sorry, 
we resolved this earlier and better than you thought. Um, and uh, kind of asked darn for... It, you did it again, Aaron. Yeah, we, we won, darn it. Yeah. Um, so, so when I'm sitting down having that conversation with them, it's going to be, okay, well, I, I would appreciate whatever you can pay right now. We're going to keep you on the payment plan. And normally the people who get that are thrilled, mm. very satisfied, yeah. Um, and they don't want to, uh, they're thanking me and, and trying to offer their firstborn children. So I'm yeah, You keep happy having to... people try to pay you more money afterwards. Like, can I just pay you more? You're like, no, that was happened a couple times recently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. People are offering me tips. I don't know. Yeah. understand. What's we're going we're on, but... talk about on the show next. What to do when clients ask, ask you, yeah. ask to pay you more. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a problem yes. on attorneys have quite often. So. <laughs> um, it's happened a couple times recently, but yeah. yeah. Um, but that again, you've done the things you need to along the way. You built trust, and worst case scenario, they stop paying you, and you were done with the work already, and you already probably made your hourly rate that you were looking for there. If you're getting the case dismissed early, so even if you don't make a hundred percent of the money you were promised on that, you probably made enough along the way for it all to make sense. Right. Okay. Great. So um, let's talk a little bit about you know, how to approach the um, consultation or the kind of fielding mm -hmm. of uh, an inbound lead yeah. uh, for a criminal case. Um, and obviously how this difference, you know, we have a different model or different way in which we can provide services to the clients. And we're a little bit more limited in some ways because you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound when it comes to criminal law. And so we can't do the limited scope small lead. And so by giving them the deposit and doing the payment plan and, um, you know, it enables you to, you know, give them an offer that maybe another attorney hasn't offered and so forth and gives them a, a way in which they can get started uh, that financially might make it possible for someone that otherwise might not be able to. Right? So, but it, it requires a little bit different strategy in terms of the way you approach that lead coming in and, and how you're going to attempt to enroll that client. So could you describe uh, the difference in terms of what you know is going on for that client and how you approach that conversation? For family law, your goal was to talk to the client, get them in the office, meet them face to face, and so forth. Um, just talk about how it differs in criminal law. Sure. So when I'm talking to um, I'm, the lead is coming through from Unbundled, I'm talking to that person. I'm assuming that this is high urgency every single time I'm talking to them. Um, yeah. They, my imagination of, of of the typical client is they are not going to be resolved on this issue. They are not going to feel better about what's going on until they have someone in their corner right um there's other areas of law where they will feel better because they got something done in my experience uh criminal clients usually don't feel better until they have that thing in place which will solve everything okay uh, so they're going to keep searching until they find that so uh what is I, that thing the, that, the lawyer on their side the, the lawyer on their side the uh the plan mm -hmm. um the, that they've paid for Yes. Okay. So my goal is to get on the phone with them, spend the the time that it takes for them to understand who I am, understand the position they're in, uh, for them to explain it to me, and then to have them enrolled and paid something on that call. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So on that uh, phone call. Yes. That is so first contact is we're talking about whatever is relevant in their case. We're treating it like an urgent matter. Mm -hmm. We're treating it like the most important thing that's happened in their entire life, because mm -hmm. it might be. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I think of it kind of as a, the burning house call. They're not going to be happy until they're out of the burning house. Yes. Um, so we need to get them out of the burning house. And that means I need to show up on site and show them out. Mm-hmm. And the way out in this case is hiring me for whatever that representation is. If right. they, you know. Um, so I'm having the conversation. I'm explaining the terms of representation. And I'm getting some initial payment from them. Uh, signifying their agreement to that um, so that we can start working for them immediately. Right. Was there, was there a period of time at all where you, you, when you made the switch from family law and you started working the criminal law leads during the bait test, um, that you were trying to get clients to come in the door? And then you're like, this is too urgent. And by the time they're just canceling appointments, or did you experience that at all? Or you just kind of got the sense? Yeah. So I, I've worked criminal law leads uh, for uh years and so i i kind of knew just from even from outside unbundled i was brought up you know enrolling them over the phone you know that's that's how i learned to do it and and i had some success doing that when i joined the the beta test for the criminal leads i did try to do like the most unbundled thing that i could imagine <laughs> on both the financial side and on the uh, uh scheduling side so i was trying to get people into the office being like let's go all in let's just do this and Getting people in the office at that point, I, I was totally aware I, that they were not stopping calling through the phone book in mm-hmm. order to to find help. Um, and so, I suppose in family law, it stops the shop, so to speak. Yeah, Generally, it usually does. They make contact with it with an attorney. They have an appointment. Today's Tuesday, and they have an appointment on Thursday. They're not going to call ten other lawyers right. now on Thursday. Like, okay, great, I got an appointment scheduled. Right. right. I'm looking forward to meeting you. So I'll see you then. Yeah. Right. You get but, off phone with that, that criminal client for that Thursday appointment. By the time Thursday rolls around, if it does with that appointment, they've already talked to nine other attorneys. And yes, yeah, yeah. and absolutely. and with the competitive landscape, what it is, uh, all those other attorneys have quoted them over the phone. Someone has found a plan for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the the idea is put a workable plan in front of them before other leads do. Right, that's the the most secure thing you can do. Obviously, there's a lot of things you're looking to do on that phone call, but I mean, urgency is is the name of the game. Right. Um, treating it as urgent, getting to them like it's urgent. Um, you can get them to hold off on a little while, but for the most part, you need to to get in there and show them that you are immediately responsive to them. Mm. And so that also means being like calling the lead in real time or engineering your firm to be able to respond in real time, right? Or get the live transfer or whatever it might be. Yeah. So whenever possible. Obviously. Yeah. So the the general structure is, uh, if you can have the live transfer, you do the live transfer. If uh, if not that, then um, I'm going to be calling them or texting them immediately, letting them know I'm here now mm-hmm. or I'm here in ten minutes. Okay. Yes. Um, if not me, then it's going to be someone else who's answering the phone and letting them know the same thing. And hopefully, if nothing else talking to that person until I'm available. We can engineer an <laughs> yes. intake yes. Uh, until, you know, that five or 10 minutes until I'm on the phone and then do the transfer and I can start handling it from there. Yeah. So any way to, uh, you know, fill in the time between here and whenever they'd be making the call to the next attorney. Yeah, to like keep the attention, yeah. so to speak, eh? Yeah. Gosh, it reminds me of, you know, back in the day when the personal injury lawyers uh, we had lawyers that did family law and personal injury mm. and they would say when they got a car accident leave come in they would just keep that person on the phone asking questions and so forth until they could get an attorney over mm. and then sometimes when the attorney was on the phone with them 
they would be like sending a runner to go meet them, meet the client, and like oh, get the sign. Yeah. Like, I don't know if they can't do that anymore or whatever, but it, but it's just it, it's a testament to how urgent of a situation it is for mm -hmm. the client in terms of how much of a, a you know life event right. it is. You know, like yeah. if you you know like uh, I originally moved here from Canada, right? And like I can imagine as an immigrant if they got served paperwork that you're getting deported or something like mm -hmm. that, or you got this criminal charge that's happening, like your whole life stops, mm -hmm. right? You got this second DUI or something like that. Now you're looking at losing your job potentially and jail time and so forth. Right. Everything's no longer on the table, mm -hmm. right? Like everything that, that mattered before that moment didn't matter nearly as much as it does now in resolving this thing now, right? right? And so it's just the, and by treating it that way, you're also empathizing with the situation for the client right. and getting that world right. that they're dealing with, eh? And being responsive in that way communicates to them that you do get how important this is for them and that you're giving it attention it deserves now. Right. Right. Okay? Yeah. I, and the urgency, even if their case isn't a big deal, the urgency is an illusion. It's absolutely real to them. And it's the situation they're living in right then and there. And so if you can't mirror that back to them at least a little bit and say, yes, yeah, I'm there with you. And there's a plan that I've got to help you get out of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. You need to be in there in that space with them and be able to deliver something like that so that they know what you're doing, know that you can take care of them. Um, probably, I mean, you, you engender trust like no one else. I probably, um, um, make people feel more comfortable. Like that's what I'm trying to do on the phone is give them a sense of great comfort. Or maybe confidence. Yeah. Maybe it would be a, a different, like, I don't know. Yeah. In terms of my experience of both of you, it's like, I feel really heard, understood, empathize with, I think that's more of your style. So I feel very comfortable. Right. Whereas when I heard you do calls, it's more of like, I, this guy is sharp as a tack. He knows the situation I'm in. He's an expert in this and he's going to solve this for me. And so like, it, it still has a lot of confidence in that regard. Yeah. Because yeah. You're, you know, it's the sharpness. Because I think you're pretty good about pinpointing exactly what they like need. You're talking about the plan. I feel like you're usually, because I've heard your calls, like you're usually pretty good about finding whatever it is that's going to make them feel better. And kind of zeroing in on that, you're much more strategic on kind of how you go through that call versus I'm a little more like, yeah, a little more um, relational, maybe. Yeah. For yes. lack of a term, you are more like, no, how can we help? This is the best way to do that. Here's the plan. Let's go. Yeah. I try to be comforting at least. Well, you I are. Try. I think you are comforting in your plan. <laughs> I just like, think. I, I feel I like yeah. I'm wearing a cardigan. Well, like, I know. It's just a little more formal. Yeah. I feel comfortable. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. True. Thank God. This guy's, right. this guy's got my back. I want. Th this is the guy that's got my back. I feel great yeah. about that now. Yeah. So yeah. The, the effect is I'm super comfortable because I've got, you know, a great expert that I can have confidence in. Yeah. Right. right. So you arrive at your different. Yes. Yeah. 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 Different types Different styles. Yeah. Right. But no, it works though. Different strokes. Okay, so um, let's just talk a little bit about uh, how you would arrive at that arrangement because, uh, you know, like there's different ways to try to figure out well, what, what is that right deposit? What is that payment plan? And, you know, I, I think a lot of attorneys, when they get on a call, they're like, well, how much could I get as a deposit? Sure. As opposed to just kind of like doing the math and being like, here's my fee for the deposit. Here's the flat fee. Here's what you can pay as a deposit. Here's the payment plan and so forth. And just going right to what that bottom number is you can do just to get get someone started and give them an offer that's you know so much better than anyone else because you're leveraging the plan and the automated recurring billing and you know that 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 your business model supports that. 
Okay. Right. The back end, like you can have confidence offering this number here. And so I'll offer it. So maybe just, and maybe that's your approach. Maybe it's not. I'd be yeah. curious to hear like how you, once you've kind of talked to them about what's going on with the situation, had them explain what's going on. What does it really come down to? Here's what needs to be done. Okay. So let's talk about how we can get this taken care of financially for you. Um, just take us through how you would approach that conversation to arrive at the deposit and the payment plans that you do. So I, I think it's good to know the starting point, which is there's, there's two standard law. If you ask most criminal attorneys, there's two arrangements that exist. One is you pay me everything now. Mm -hmm. And the other is you pay me half now and you pay me the rest of it real soon. Correct. Those are the, two, those are the two that exist. Um, and so if or they've reached it up to this point, yeah, right, right. Right. well, For, and so, majority, so yeah. everyone else they're talking to is presenting one of those. Yes. I'll, I'll talk about this beta test here in a second. Cause it was, it was perfect example of the two models and the numbers. Yeah. Everyone else is offering that. If they've talked to another attorney before you, that's what they were offered. And they, by calling around said, no, that's not what they want to do. Mm -hmm. So if that's your base assumption that they've already said no to that offer, then you, then you should come in at something that's better than that. Or if you get to someone first and they haven't, but yeah. then they may go talk to one or two other people and they go, Oh, I don't want that. That's just way better here. I had the, right. I had the right. diamond in the hand. Yeah. It's amazing how many so people come away. back around. Cause they're like, Oh wait, I thought that was expensive. I don't, I no longer think that was expensive anymore. <laughs> so, so once you yeah, know that, right. so you, you can, and again, if you're talking about these things in the right term, it's not all about the end number. It's about what they can afford. Yes. Um, you know, attorneys often try to sell legal services like they sell cars, uh, which is you're just going to pay for the whole thing. You're just buying the entire thing when most people need a ride. <laughs> um, and so it, you're just saying, no, like, can I give you a ride, you know, 10 times? That's really what you need. And you just pay me for that as we go versus buying a new car. Uh -huh. So if you can make 10 payments or you can make 20 payments, um, and you know, that's kind of the range that we're talking about here. Um, what do those payments need to be for this case to make sense? Mm. So when I'm now, I'm still a fan of getting more upfront on most cases. Mm -hmm. And so I'm asking probing questions along the way. Um, yes. so you do know, you keep yours open-ended or do you come in saying you ask for half? Um, I, I walk the line depending on what's going on because I'm, when I'm talking to them about it, I'm saying, you know, I'm asking the intake questions to go with this too. Um, one of the things I like to ask is, I want to know if this is going to interfere with, with going to court is going to interfere with your abilities to maintain your lifestyle. Where do you work? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cause um, some people can go to yeah. court and some people can't mm -hmm. and it makes a difference and I can normally keep people out of court. It's one of the, you know, benefits of being a criminal defense attorney is you can keep people working. Yes. And so that's part of the pitch when I'm talking to them is I can keep you working mm -hmm. uh, among uncertainty. Okay. Yes. And you won't have to worry about court interfering with your life as much or, or those things. And then you can and identify so, income, job types. So right. And right. so I'm getting a little bit of information from that. I'm finding out probably what their work hours are. I'm probably you know able to, oh, what kind of work is that? Okay. And figure out a little bit about what's going on there. Um, that's helping me price things. At some point along, late in the conversation, I'm, I'm going to ask the question, okay, just be honest with me. You didn't plan for this. Do you feel like you have resources that will allow you to afford the services of an attorney? We're going to keep talking, but I, I, I just need to know, like, what do you have set aside for this? And it's okay if you don't have anything set aside, but I need to know. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then have that conversation with them, but doing it 
in a trustful place. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then from there saying, okay, well, let's talk about your starting point, wherever that is. And let's talk about what I can do to work from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's when we're talking about whatever my minimum amount is, What because there always is going to be a floor. There's going to be some kind of floor in there. Yes. Um, let's talk about how we can get to that floor and then what the payments will be after that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that doesn't mean I won't take payments along the way to get to the floor mm-hmm. and then start them on the normal payment plan after that. But my representation doesn't start until the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm doing that so that they can feel like they can do something about it today still. Mm-hmm. So that we can calendar it so it'll make sense with whatever there was going on in their case. Because sometimes they have, you know, two months before their hearing comes up. And so it's still working with that time frame, but they can do something about it today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I... Um, uh, I used to, you know, years ago say, oh, well, you know, see if you can pay me right before the hearing. And that's one approach. Uh, and some of those people do come back. It's like, okay, well, you know, um, you know, I'm not going to get in your case. Contact me two days before the hearing and we'll figure it out. Some of those people come back, but a lot of them don't. Mm-hmm. If they put $10 in your pocket, they're going to remember that. Yes. Okay. Um, and so that is truly what happens to stop the shop. Mm. Once the payment is made, once 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 they have sitting on your couch, right? Once they have Saul Goodman put one dollar in your pocket, that's it. You know that is they they are your client and you are their lawyer. Um, Even if that formalized part hasn't happened down the road yet, uh, uh, to make it so that you are going to represent them on this case, you know. Um, So you have to be clear about the arrangement with them. But you know, once they start paying up. Um, that's when you've got this uh, a, a relationship that shows promise of lasting. Mm-hmm. How is it that you determine? Can you describe what you mean by the floor and what that is determined based? Yeah. On? So um, the floor is, and, and we'll be talk. I'll talk to them directly about what that number is on the phone. But it's basically, I've got my total flat fee, and we've got some number much lower than that, uh, which might be the twenty or twenty five percent mark. Um, and that's the number that we need them to get up to before it's going to be the representation. Mm-hmm. You know, I am taking their payments as a convenience and just putting them in trust up to that point. Uh, but once we hit that threshold, okay, now we're going to rip the cord. Okay, now we've got this, um, and my appearance is in, and we'll start working their case. Okay, so that is a certain amount of funds that you would need in order to enter the appearance. In the yes. Case. Yeah. Okay. But, um, you know, and, and we're not talking anything that would take them, you know, six months to pay in or anything. We're looking at, you know, three or four weeks. Okay. Right. But them getting some money into you is still the sign that if they're going to hire an attorney, it's you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's how they're going to feel about it too. If I'm going to hire any attorney, it's you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the establishment of the relationships that, that the payments are going to take place in. Mm-hmm. Could you give an example of floor and payment plans for a DUI? Okay, so yeah, first first, first time DUI. Yeah, so uh, first time DUI, um, we'll say twenty two hundred. Um, so um, the floor on that might be we'll say five hundred. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that's again that twenty to twenty five percent. Yeah, it's somewhere there, it's right? it's in there. So we're doing five hundred. They have to get to that amount. Uh, I'd be most most of the people I talk to, they'd be able to get there very quickly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, they're going to throw it on a credit card and they're there. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, some people will take, it might take two or three weeks to get there. Okay, fine. You know, uh, it still saves them. Again, we're talking about the kind of emotional part of this. They don't want to look for another attorney if they can mm-hmm. avoid it. They don't want to feel like they're getting cheated. They don't want to feel like this is a bad deal, but they also don't want to look for another attorney if they can avoid it. Yeah. So allowing them that opportunity to say, here's the plan so that it's you're done. You know, we just need to finish this part of it. Um, means that, you know, once we hit that 500 number, then we're going to be on regular payment plans, maybe continue on the exact same that we were on to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe something a little bit lower depending on the span of the case. Right. How do you uh, manage anything that may arise? And I would imagine this is the same with family law. Anytime you're offering kind of a layaway on a limited scope, right? That, that things haven't been filed yet, but there is a representation agreement signed and so forth. Um, do you act at that point? Uh, like if, if they're getting questioned or something happening or so forth, that you're speaking for them and, and that you're now their attorney, but you just or like, how do you manage that balance between giving them a layaway? Because, you know, for example, when someone's the petitioner, you can much easier lay away the initial petition because, sure. yeah, they want to file for custody and they want to get something established, mm-hmm. but they need to come up with the resources to do so. So then, you know, they may not be able to file as quickly as they want, but that's a limitation of their financial capacity. And and it's much better for them to wait a little bit to get the representation and the help they need than to try to file on their own without this help sure. they need. So they, they wait, right? That might, that's not always, they can't do that if they're getting a response, right? Right. You got to figure out, can you have this amount now because we need to do a response. So is that is that a factor as well in a criminal case where you, sometimes you can do that little bit of time to lead up versus other times you got to just go? Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're going to be talking to them about what that period of time looks like. And if it's an OWI case, they might be facing a license suspension during that period of time. And that's just something they got to know about. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you can't necessarily do anything about it because you're not in the case. And for us, it's something that would probably automatically happen anyway, depending on, you know, the other facts or circumstances that are there. Um, or it's possible that they're going to be reapproached by police. It's pretty rare, at least where we're dealing with. And I'm going to give them the one-off advice at every criminal defense attorney, which would be just don't talk to police. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> don't say anything. Uh, uh, Fifth Amendment, done. Um, so... I haven't had any situations where anything has arisen in there um, that has required kind of an interruption of that. In the meantime, I'm basically just putting the funds in trust and I'm holding it on their behalf. Um, Theoretically, if they wanted the money back, they're going to get it back because that's what I'm doing for them. Um, But at the same time, you know, uh, I'm not going to take those funds as earned until I'm actually starting representation and putting an appearance in. And I, do you put it, like, and I know I put mine in my attorney-client agreements, too, that, like, representation does not begin. I will not enter my appearance until right. this. Mm. Um, and then even we just, this just came up because it got flagged in the case where now, like, our automatic emails that go out with all of our agreements say in really big, bold letters, our representation does not begin until we have the signed service agreement back mm-hmm. and your first payment as outlined in your agreement. Right. And so, like, just so there's no question, like, you could pay us. That's great. I'm not going to do anything with that money until you've signed that service agreement, though. Um, and it's a two-part. Like, you can't do one without the other. Right. Um, because, you know, that, that protects us as attorneys later when people try to come back and try to say, well, that wasn't the deal. Absolutely it was. It was very clearly outlined. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you 
I'm assuming you probably outlined that in your agreement, like when representation yeah. starts. Right. It's it's very clear in paragraph two of my uh, attorney-client agreement. Uh, that's all systematized through Cleo Grow. And then it also, um, with that, when I'm sending it out, I'm also sending out the, uh, the document so we can set up their payment plan. Uh, so all of that's getting done all at once. Right. So once you reach this floor number that I enter yeah. my appearance yes. and the representation is right. complete, okay? Yeah. yeah, this is really helpful uh, to just kind of itemize this in, in terms of the, you know, the balance between extending services and, and, and flexibility in terms of the rate, but also making sure that the boundary is clear in terms of when that representation really begins. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, to be fair, and a lot of th things will happen during that period of time. So sometimes they, something will change in their life. Like another case will come up and they'll get arrested and they're not going to be able to afford you on that case. And you'll go, I'm sorry. You know, I'll, I'll give you that little bit of money back, but, um, you know, it, it's part of it is the figuring out financial solutions for people and just being compassionate for them in that. Mm -hmm. And there, um, people will still want you and respect you. And I've had situations like that that have come up and then the people came back and hired me later because they did get it. Yes. And so, you know, if you're actually building, you know, using these opportunities with people to build out relationships with them so that they know that you can be trusted mm -hmm. with their money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing that in a lot of cases they're most afraid of losing or being screwed with, um, then they're going to come back and they're going to use you if they possibly can. Yes. Right. Okay. And so this is the, uh, on the flip side of this coin, uh, because we're kind of talking about, well, here's kind of the, 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 kind of the legal aspects of making sure we put the fee agreement this way and this is the structure and so forth in terms of the initiation of relationship um, and the model. But on the flip side of this, you know, I think it's interesting just to describe what we were talking about here in terms of pay me all up front or pay me half down and then the rest of payments are as soon as possible mm -hmm. versus what you're describing and the way that penciled out in the beta test when we first launched criminal leads, you know, we always test any new practice area of leads that we ever launch with three, four, five different ML attorneys we've worked with for a long time that have experience and we just go, okay, here's these leads. Okay, and we give feedback, feedback. Here's, here's, we adopt the campaigns, we try again and so forth and until we get a real, you know, the highest converting lead in the legal industry. I mean, that's that's mm -hmm. our, that's what we're committed to. Um, and so one of the things that we found is between unbundled attorneys, there was a big difference in conversion rate of the same leads, right? Well, what was the deal? Well, a couple of the lawyers that we worked with were doing Okay, it's twenty five hundred dollars or thirty five hundred or four thousand. Just pay me half down, and then we'll set you up on a payment plan for the balance, mm -hmm. right? Conversion rate on the criminal leads for those two attorneys, and granted, they were brand new on on fielding leads, and so we're still learning how to work this model. It was about one out of ten. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, do you remember what your conversion rate is <laughs> when you were doing your model? I, I don't remember. What I it think was. it was about thirty to forty percent. Okay, you were like, uh, you know, I think every third. Every second or third lead, you were retaining into services. Um, some of them were pretty big, pretty good cases too, like bigger uh, types of matters than, than just the DUIs. Um, and that was, and your model was okay, twenty five hundred, five hundred bucks or so, right? Twenty two hundred, right? Yeah, five hundred dollars or so. If it was four thousand, maybe about a thousand or so. Um, and then depending on the circumstances, like you're describing and figuring out what works best, and then hundred dollars a week, or hundred dollars every other week. Or I heard $50 a week, yeah. $50 every other week sometimes, yeah. depending on the length of the, the case and how much was required to be mm -hmm. paid. Again, six months, It's they have $1,000 more owed. Okay, it's this. Right? So you could do $50 a week, right? And 
And so, you know, if we look at, okay, if we sent you 20, 20 clients, right? The other two attorneys retained maybe two. And if the client value was $4,000 each, mm-hmm. they made about $8,000 of that one out of 10. Yeah. If we send you the same 20 clients, you enroll six or seven of them for a $4,000 average client value. What's 4,000 times seven? Uh, uh, 20, 20, 28,000? 20,000, yeah. 20,000, right? So <laughs> did you? everyone just saw us try to do math, but it didn't work well. All right. Um, it's it's like four the, times it, as much, yeah. right? Yeah. That's a much bigger number. Right? Yeah. It's, you know, 25,000 versus eight, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, will some folks may get started maybe now and now and again and can't mm-hmm. keep going? Yeah. Um, will folks run out of money or things, maybe you don't get paid the full amount on a certain case? Sometimes, okay? Sure. Um, I would I'd be curious to see now that, I mean, you've been running this model for a long time. Like what are the numbers in terms of just generally speaking, how many times folks don't end up being able to pay the full amount versus how many times they, they do and, and it works out right? I mean, like, I don't know. You, I, uh, I, to look, probably, just to look forward a bit from like, sure. okay, I enrolled these clients to this model. What then what happens, right? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not too emotionally attached to the number. So I think it's I think it's in the neighborhood of probably 80%. Probably I say your full. accounts receivable is normally pretty low. Yeah, I, it's I the, keep it pretty the low. The hour, <laughs> hourly cases where our AR gets a little sometimes out of control, but I feel like you usually are pretty good about collecting on yours. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just having the. Because it's amazing how when you all of a sudden you say, "Hey, you're not paying. I'm going to get out of your case," and they're like, "No, no, no, I'll be paying you." <laughs> yeah, and so uh, probably uh, not less than eighty percent of the whatever I build on those got collected. Or is in the process of being collected still. Yeah, which is a good rate. Right. You know, that's not right off. I would I would imagine that's not much different than a standard criminal firm that does the yeah. half down, right? Yeah. Pretty similar. Because of the recurring billing type mm-hmm. of model, it's like if they can afford it, they can afford it, okay? Right. Um, well, and one thing I feel like that was really nice too, like in this era of COVID um, and people's jobs fluctuating and you might quarantine for two weeks or with those kinds of things. And like last year, I know all of us attorneys panicked because- if our clients don't have jobs, if they're not doing these things, how in the world are we going to make money? But I feel like the payment plans came in pretty clutch last year because it was smaller chunks. And so even if the firm had a down month because, you know, no one had the money to pay for an attorney, that like revenue stream, even after the cases may have been resolved, was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being able to w- be willing to work with people to do that, I think has been super, super helpful. And it has made it so that people are better about paying your bills. Right. I mean, uh- I mean, I think it's true of most people. If if you walk up to pretty much anyone and say, I need $5,000 from you right now mm-hmm. versus I need $100 a week from you for a year, you're going to like one out of 20 people is going to have $5,000 now. Yeah, less than that. And, and, and half of them are better are going to have $100 a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just plain like numbers and access. Like it is what people can do. Yes. So yeah. it, it makes it easy to, to tap that asset. I, mean, I don't think you can put it any more clearly than that. When we talk about giving accessibility to the legal services, what can people do? You know, like that's really all we're trying to figure out. Yeah. And can we make that work? Right. Right. Yeah. We're like, I can deliver services for that because either I've got, yeah, because we've got automated recurring billing and we can pencil that out and it works out in terms of the amount of time that we're putting into each case mm-hmm. and it's a flat rate or we can manage that or we're doing limited scope, whatever it might be. Um, and then I can make it more efficient in these ways and so forth. Okay, I can do that. And then there's that floor where it's like, okay, I can't do that. 
right? Yeah. It's we, and there's no silver bullet to like helping other than legal aid, obviously, or that's not really a silver bullet per se. But right. you know they have the public defender system, but this is about providing you know private you know uh, legal services to folks that otherwise would never have an opportunity to have a private lawyer representing them in a criminal matter, in a family law case, and having that representation where they would otherwise in family law cases be completely going it alone in the vast majority of circumstances. And in the criminal sector, it would be a public defender. Mm-hmm. And that isn't necessarily always going to work out to be the most ideal scenario for that individual, just from a resources standpoint, mm-hmm. okay? in terms of like the public defenders, how many cases they have to deal with and so yeah. forth, right? right. The, the representation of the strategy, the approach may be different, right? In terms of what they have the capacity to do. Uh, and so it's really trying to figure out what can the average folk person do? That's mm-hmm. middle income, you know, like single parents. I grew up with a single parent, two kids, right? Mm-hmm. Like. She didn't even have the funds to hire the lawyer to file for the child support and didn't realize that there was an attorney. This is up in Canada. Didn't even yeah. realize that she could do it. Right. That she could just go through the, the, the state, the province right. and so forth. Uh, and so she didn't. Right. Yeah. And so, it, but could she have done a I actually sat down with her uh, as an anecdote, you know, a few weeks ago. And I was like, well, you know, remember to describe to me, like, you never went after dad for this and that. Like, and she was like, yeah, you know, I, I you know, he got my lawyer that we've both been using. And, you know, I, I was didn't have very much money. And so I just let it go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, if you had a lawyer that was $100 a week and you know, $500, would you have done it? And she's like, you know, come think about it. Yeah, I probably would have if mm-hmm. I had access to that. Right. Okay? That's a single mom with two kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, what can people like that, average folks do? They can do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And that makes the difference Yeah. for a lot of folks. Okay? Absolutely. Because I think there's a big market. And I think this... Like when people come to me and ask me for advice on either going out on their own or just those kinds of things, there is a gap, a big gap. And there's a lot of people in that gap of they don't qualify for free legal services Mm -hmm. and they by no means are independently wealthy. And um, the attorneys are really, I feel like, giving doing a disservice to themselves because you're knocking out a significant portion, at least around here, even though we have some really wealthy areas in Indianapolis – there's a lot of people that are in that lower middle class to like like low income level, but they still are over that threshold where they don't qualify. Mm. And so how in the world can like their have a right to representation and good representation? Like they don't you know they shouldn't have to um hire somebody who's not good quality just because they can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Um so I feel like there's actually a lot of money to be made if you can get them on those payment plans. Yeah. Um and oftentimes again, I feel like as long as they're paying consistently. They've got skin in the game because I feel like so oftentimes attorneys are worried about doing that because mm-hmm. it's like, well, then like they have no incentive. It's like, no, they do. Like that's a lot of money to them. Like it may not be to you, lawyer, that's quoting that, but it is to them. And so as long as they're trying, you know, can't you do the same? Because I do think there's a big market there that's just underserved, yes. um, which is the nice thing about Unbundled too because, you know, I think is doing those lower payments but consistent payments lets them actually have access to that. Um, and I feel like being a law world, we fall into that a lot because mm-hmm. a lot of times people are like, everybody's quoting me $3,500 for a retainer. It's like, I could quote you that, but I know that you can't do that. So that doesn't you nor I any good. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, there's a question is that, is that really necessary? It's not. It makes us attorneys feel better because then our trust accounts look nice and healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you have how many less clients because of that? Mm-hmm. Um, so, could you could you guys describe in whatever way you know you can in terms of because I think that is partly the misnomer is that attorneys might think well if I take less up front 
you know, and take a thousand or fifteen hundred or five hundred, then I'm not going to make that back end, and I'm not going to. I'll make less money, mm-hmm. right? I get, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's got to be the only real. Like right. when it comes down to it, like, why am I not doing this? Well, because I, I need to get the money up front because they may not pay me and so forth, right? Right. I may make less, right? Right. When in reality, because it opens the door to so many other folks, like it was in the beta test, instead of one or two out of 20, it was like seven. And then we know what the average client value of those folks are. It's a completely different model, a completely different equation, right? In terms mm-hmm. of what you were able to, to net. Could, I mean, just in real line ground terms, in terms of when you began offering this type of more, you know, payment plan, smaller deposit and so forth, uh, or for you when you were doing this in, in criminal law, um, how it impacted your guys' practice financially? Um, well, I can say, because I looked at my numbers in preparation for this, because I was curious, because I hadn't really run them. Like, what was my build time last year versus this? And I'm over 100,000 more this year in my build time than I was last year. We started um, unbundled almost a year ago today actually it's the 9th of december i think is when we started and so that was a huge jump in just my billable time mm-hmm. uh, my collections rates also higher than it was a year ago um which i think that's a multitude of factors as to why that's a little bit higher um but like when i just look at our general revenue like over the last year we lost a partner um who left and so like obviously that's one less billing partner than at that point but when I look at our revenue numbers, like they're really actually not that different. Um, and I, I have to credit, I think, Unbundled for a lot of that because of just the sheer number of clients that we've been getting mm-hmm. um, and then that are on those payment plans. Because yeah. um, like I was saying earlier, like our accounts receivable is a huge problem in the family law industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are no exception of that. Like we definitely have a pretty big accounts receivable too. But um, I think our, our collections rate this year is much better than it had been in past. Um, and I do think a lot of that's just pay, those payment it's those plans. Auto-draft. It's the auto draft. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we've got so, and like, again, it's like a daily thing for me. If I see a payment decline, I'm sending my staff a reminder of like, Hey, call the client. If we need to reduce it, let's reduce it. I don't care if it's $25 every other week. I just want payments coming in, like whatever it needs to happen. So that it's not declining. Like that's what we need to make happen. So, um, but it's made a big jump in both just the amount of time I'm able to bill and then also our AR is down this year, which is good. And I would imagine probably the just the number of clients you've been able to extend services to. Yeah. You know, like, you just don't have to turn as many folks away because right. you have a solution that's a little bit more accessible. For yeah, them. and Absolutely. we've, and luckily with some of Aaron's help too, because he's really good at the automation stuff, we've been able to automate a bunch of stuff too over the last year, which has also made it, I think the quality of the work better too, because I think there was in that growth phase, it's hard to make sure that you're getting everything done timely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to have some of those automation things done so that people can see things faster in terms of drafting of things um, has been huge too. Just the timelines of getting Yeah, because door, that's right? always the hard part, right? With growth is then yeah. all of a sudden you've got this new influx of cases and now what do I do with them? Because <laughs> there's only one of me um obviously some people have staff and some don't i do luckily have awesome staff but um there's still that allocation of workload um and i carry probably a heavier caseload than most um which hopefully that's gonna be changing so i can offset some of that to our new associate but um but yeah so it's but it's been a big help in just terms of just general client intake um i'm very busy so that's a good thing mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay Aaron, you want to add on that just in terms of the 
the financial side. I was I was not as good a student, so I didn't look up all my numbers before I came. <laughs> well, but uh, um, I, uh, I felt very comfortable. Like yeah. when people come on the show, they're like, "I better have my numbers ready," and it's like, "Well." Yeah, I, well, it's just good. It's, it's good but introspective. It helps, like right? I'm just like, oh, like I haven't really looked at how that did impact the practice, and so it was really interesting to the. Uh, um, I knew that I was a uh, uh, very comfortable with the number of cases I was signing from um, Unbundled, and I just kind of did the work. Well, and you were meeting I, your financial goals. Oh yeah, yeah. And then I was um, getting busy enough in those times that I was bringing on extra people, either on a full time or part time basis to yeah. or contract basis to get the work done because I had too much paid work to do. Yeah, mm -hmm. and like going back a little bit too, because I think one thing you did a really good job of and I've kind of piggybacked from that is um, if you can make the intake process as seamless as possible and then the workflow after that too, um, that helps keep the clients better too because I feel like part of our growing pains with it was making sure we were getting people scheduled timely and efficiently. Um, so because obviously the conversion rates, the big thing is like, yes, the leads can come to us. They might be really great quality leads, but I got to convert them and I got to get to them in time and those kinds of things. And I don't know, like we luckily had put in place a client, um, management, like retention management, a CRM system. We use grow, Clio grow, yep. how people, how I did it before that. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't even remember how that operated, but I feel like we've done a really good job. You did. And I kind of piggybacked it from it was just having those systems in place because that's yeah. the big thing with Unbundled too is we can get really good leads, but you've got to have all that, I feel like, in place to kind of maximize those leads. To maximize it, yes. Yeah, because like we had, when I saw... The templates, our, the emails, responses. Yes, and because like when I saw phone. our yeah. um, uh, retention rate go down, it's always just, it's not because we aren't, like we're getting them scheduled or we're doing the things we need to, but it's because we aren't, following up like we should be because you know we just we didn't have a good follow-up procedure put in place um you know or those kinds of things um so as long as that like process is there i feel like it's worked really really well and when it's fallen off the wheels at all it's just because usually we didn't have a good process to make sure those clients were getting um help as fast as we could get to them mm -hmm. so but yeah the automation is key great well, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm really glad that we got an opportunity to get the show rolling again and, and have an opportunity to sit down with you guys. I couldn't be more excited about, uh, you know, there was a long period of time where, you know, most people know that, you know, we've had a lot of lawyers ask us about personal injury leads. And, mm, right. uh, and the reason we haven't gone into, you know, some of these other practice areas is there's no access to justice problem in car accidents. You know, it's like, <laughs> There's you a lot need a lawyer, yeah. you got a car accident, you'll have 10 lawyers down the street ready to take the right. case. Hey? Mm -hmm. yeah. There is an access to justice problem in family law, mm -hmm. in probate, in criminal, in, you know, immigration, right? In these practice areas of bankruptcy, right? Uh, where you got to come up with money to right. figure out a, a solution. And usually it's a lot, mm -hmm. right? Um, and for a long time, we didn't see how it is that criminal lawyers could work with clients where they could give them access to private representation without having to charge them a bundle because you couldn't do limited scope. You right. couldn't do unbundled services in the traditional sense like you can with Panda Law. Right. Okay? And so, you know, being able to, to work with attorneys like yourself that, you know, are willing that have kind of thought through the model, looked at the ways in which, you know, how much time you have to work with, is I think mm -hmm. is the biggest asset with criminal is it just takes some time sometimes to let these things roll out. And so you can kind of extend out, kind of give clients more flexible timelines mm -hmm. in which they can take these fees and uh, uh, to pay the fee, whatever is involved and, uh, and do that math 
and come up and then have the automated payment solution in place to make it so that you're not having to manually do those things, mm -hmm. right? Because of the administrative side of it, getting the client staff to do it, right? That really is a linchpin to the model. Absolutely. Right? And again, yeah. like a lot of credit goes to, you know, John and Amy Porter, the original founders of uh, of Law Yacht, excuse me, Law, Yacht, Law Pay, and, uh, and for their pioneering work with the uh, payment processing solution in the legal industry right. to give that powerful platform, uh, make that available through Clio Payments or yeah. through Law Pay. Because yeah, there's just not enough time otherwise to do that manually. I don't yeah. know how people would do that. Yeah. How would you be processing, you know, 50 clients every Friday? You not know, well for... is the answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably miss a few. Yes. Right? Uh, and so it's really encouraging, you know, because, and that's expressed in that, right from the day one of that beta test. It's like, wow, you know, like you can do half down and payments from there. You might help one out of 10 clients, maybe one out of 20, right? By just doing that and maybe like one out of 20, one of 25, it's 5,000. Well, just by doing half down, maybe you get one or two. Well, now if we, you know, bring something that's more like, hey, maybe $500 and $100 a week or something like that. Now you're getting a three or three or four fold increase, mm -hmm. you know, six, seven, eight clients being able to hire you um, that otherwise wouldn't, right? And what that that's a disparity between what people... Uh, would have would um, that are getting legal services that otherwise may not have or have gone a different pouch that they may or not be able to afford, right? And even in, from a compet uh, competitive standpoint, as a lawyer, you're also even if they could necessarily do the more attractive solution, it's a very strong competitive advantage for you. Yeah, right. It's a big to, like, selling set, point. Set your firm apart, right? Yeah. Right. And I'll use that in my pitch a lot of times too. Like, and I'll because when we get to the fees part, I'll be like, you know, hey, one thing we do differently than I think most firms is, and I kind of go into it. Um, you know, cause I think you can wrap that very easily into kind of like the missional part of it. Like we think that you're entitled to good representation, even if you don't make a million dollars a year. Um, heck if you don't even make $80,000 a year, like, you know, you're just that lower, you know, middle class. Um, and I think that that's something that you can try to say sets you apart. Yes. Um, which is kind of nice because you know just a lot it's of people don't do it. It is because there's also I feel like you fight that kind of old school mentality you see so oftentimes because everyone's been trained in the same model. Um, and so when they call, like you were saying earlier, like three other places, they're going to be getting similar quotes. Um, so I feel like it also helps you with that connection level too. Of you know we're trying to help you, and here's one way that we we're able to do that, um, and give some of that trust and stuff that you were trying to look for mm -hmm. to keep make them stay that's right yeah and hopefully it makes you feel, uh, you know feel a little bit better about the work that you're doing for folks right too. right yeah which mm -hmm. is why we do it most days. Some days. yeah so this except for those days, those yeah. days. we all oh, got boy. those days yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay um any other comments anything else uh, before we wrap up for for tonight that you want to share any before uh we sign off for the evening no, I got, I got nothing. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I think that's it. Like I've said, probably <laughs> awesome. more than enough. But <laughs> cool. Well, like I said, it's, uh, it's. Uh, I appreciate the work that both of y'all are doing to to help folks in a way that uh, they may not otherwise be able to to get, and that makes a big difference in terms of you know ways that we'll, you know, we may never even know, you know, right. like how that impacts those families and the kids that you serve and uh, the individuals that are faced with these types of charges or different types of legal circumstances. And what that makes possible for them in their lives but um you know that's for the universe to determine but you guys are certainly opening the doors of uh of opportunity for them in many ways that uh, they wouldn't otherwise be able to step through so we really appreciate the work that you're doing and appreciate you being part of this community and uh and applying these and, and teaching us you know ways in which that uh, uh we can educate other attorneys on ways in which we can you know help more people and, and build very successful practices doing it 
Right. Okay. And to all of you that are following the podcast, uh, like I said, we're happy to be back in action. And we've got some more uh, interviews uh, from all over the country coming up here pretty soon. We're really happy to be back on the road and, and uh, interviewing awesome attorneys like this that uh, are providing services in these ways. So we really appreciate you tuning in, taking notes, uh, learning uh, all about how to build a more profitable practice while serving clients in an affordable way. And we'll certainly look forward to seeing you all on the next episode. For more information about how our exclusive unbundled leads can help you grow your practice, visit our website at unbundledattorney.com. You can watch each new episode of the podcast on the Unbundled Attorney YouTube channel, or if you prefer to listen, you can find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to subscribe so you get each new episode as soon as it's available. And remember to leave us your review on iTunes. We read each and every one of them and really appreciate your support of the show. Once again, thanks for listening.